At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fish and Game Podcast. You got... Your host here, Justin Townsend, and for whatever reason, I'm out of breath. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, you stood up. I stood up. Uh, so today, I'm sitting here with Art and AJ, father and son duo, uh, hailing from the great state of Pennsylvania. Now AJ lives in Texas, but uh, he's originally from Pennsylvania. Good. But <coughs> good afternoon. Hello. <laughs> uh, we embarked on an incredible journey here in central Wyoming, actually where we sit right now. I guess you'd say like eastern central Wyoming, I guess is probably the proper term. Um, we came up here, if you recall back uh, two years ago, we recorded an antelope hunting uh, episode, which went pretty in-depth into our antelope adventures here in this part of the state. But this year we were back, and we were back for mule deer. And... I think this year was a it's a pretty unique year. Um, one of the main reasons it was super unique is is that we found out unique in a way because uh, as as we were talking to one of the taxidermists at the processor yesterday, and AJ, I'll actually let you explain this because you had the full conversation with them. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we were um, talking to the taxidermist um, at the processor yesterday. And he was saying how uh, recently the antelope numbers and the mule deer numbers in the surrounding area have been declining um, steadily. So a trend the past few years just hit hard by CWD, uh, EHD, uh, hard winters, um, states issuing less tags every year. So they, they, a reduced, lot of guys, they reduced the numbers of antelope yeah. tags this year. Yeah, they've been going down steadily, I think. We've seen since we've been coming here seven years ago. So unfortunately, um, the area has been hit very hard. Um, he said a lot of guys this year went home, uh, a lot of people went home this year with, with, with tags. Um, they're unsuccessful, couldn't fill them, took their tags home. And um, we went five for five. So he's like, you guys did a really good job, great work, that's incredible. So um, 
So we're going to help you today, and Justin's going to kind of walk you through what we did and uh, some tips, tips, of the, tips and tricks of the trade. It's early. <laughs> Sorry, I can't get the words out. Um, so one thing I want to say is, like, I'm not going to go day by day. I know in the past we've, we've talked, like, kind of steadily day by day through trips and stuff. But this one, we, we were out here for five days total. We still had an extra day and a half that we didn't need now. So uh, we're actually packing up and heading back early today. But we thought we'd give you kind of sort of the, as AJ mentioned, the tips and tricks, the strategy behind uh, behind it. And each will kind of come with a story as to like why we chose that and like the end result happening from the uh, from that moment, from that decision, from that strategy piece uh, that helped us sort of find success here. And this is all public land hunting. Some of it we've hunted for before, like two years ago, but most of this is kind of really uh, new explored land for us. But I think the strategy is pretty applicable across the way. Um, so I mentioned earlier, like we were coming out for mule deer. And I think, uh, AJ, you could tell the story of like of them coming up out of the ground, like where that originates from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, in... I was reminded of that this this trip so a friend of mine years ago her grandfather um uh who's still with us he's in his 90s he was a, a big hunter back in the day and he would tell stories about hunting mule deer in uh nebraska and that you know you'd look across these fields these open spaces and think there's nothing out there but then right at twilight they seem to rise up out of the ground and it's the deer coming out of these draws or ravines that have been bedding it, bedded in and traveling in all, all day long. So we saw that happen on this trip multiple times, and it mm-hmm. kind of just sparked that memory for me. And it's it's a cool thought because it's totally applicable. And, I mean, we – I think the first day we set on one piece of land, like, we were glassing pretty well. And, like, we saw, saw a doe standing out in the middle of the field. It, the rains were about to come in, so it was cloudy. It was later in the evening, but it wasn't towards like twilight or sunset. So I think that like shadow or overcast period uh, kind of like sparred her to like get up and, you know, like, oh, I'm going to start moving. It's evening time. And then she kind of, it was weird because she stood around because she's like literally just stood there like, all right, well, I'm going to wait and see what happens. Like it should be getting darker now. It's It should be getting darker now. And so for about 10 minutes, she just... She just stood there, but also in the same moment, this, uh, you know, was he, he was a three by three, right? He was, yeah. He was like a three by three, just rose up next to her, like literally out of nowhere. I was like, Hey guys, there's a buck down there. Um, but they literally just like popped up out of the ground. And I think we saw that in another instance, we were sitting in the same spot later that evening and two forky bucks just like popped up out of the sage on this river bottom. Like I watched them like physically appear just like bloop out of this like pile of sage and I never would have guessed they were there but we continuously as we walked some of the country midday or like if we were um, following game or trying to get a good stock like you would see you would see a bush that was probably I don't know about the size of a baby stroller and then behind it there would be like a little bedded area and you're like I would never see that deer if they were completely laid down in here um, so it's 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 interesting that sort of hole they pop up out of the ground because they really do and then, like, as you look across the terrain, if you're standing eye level with the terrain, it just looks flat. But then as you go out and walk walk through it, you're down, you're up, you're in. You're, like, all these little ravines and little pockets. 
and broken pieces of land like i think is the best way to describe it and you know river bottoms creek bottoms dried creek bottoms that then turns into like a deer super highway and we'll touch a little bit more on that later art anything to add on the environment well that's that's where i got my buck he came up out of the ground yep and um it's it's the it could be the rain or the snow melt that starts these uh, ravines and um that's like you say that's where they like to lay they like to hide in there and they'll bed down and as you go by or look across as you're glassing them you don't see nothing mm-hmm. you turn your head you look back all of a sudden there they are <laughs> it's Perfect. very interesting it's yeah. crazy um i i think one thing so also i so we all put in for antelope tags both aj myself uh colin Ben and Casey and Art. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> All put in for antelope tags as well. Uh, the only two that were able to draw was Colin and myself. And ironically, we both drew two, which, uh, you know, was very interesting. And it's crazy because this, I, I believe, you know, five years ago, this would have been a spot like anybody that put in for it would have drawn it. And I, I think, think so. I think the reduction in numbers over the past couple of years is probably uh, in the tags. Well, the antelope numbers have caused the Fish and Game Commission here to reduce the number of tags allocated. And I think that that was really shown through in that of like everybody that drew only two people drew. And of those two people, they only drew, you know, they two of them drew two, which I still think he's interesting. Uh, Colin wasn't able to make it. He had some uh, personal stuff going on that uh, conflicted with the timing, so that's okay. Um, We did, surprisingly, so the way that I pictured antelope going was like our primary focus would be the mule deer because we all three had mule deer tags. And then the antelope tags was in the same zone for the same time. And so our focus was kind of put in the same area, but the antelope would be like, oh, if we come across it, we'll, we'll, you know, go for antelope. Well, that very much happened on the first day. And I think this this piece of strategy comes into focus uh, because, you one, you never know where antelope are going to show up. And two, like hunting pressure drives those animals around a lot. And uh, the place we found them at, I would never expect them to find, uh, which it was great mule deer country. We like get there hike up this ridge, get in to the top of this ridge. It's about half mile from where we parked and uh, get up on this ridge and look down into this little bowl. And it was BLM that connected to a big chunk of state land. And our plan was to go in there, set up on the BLM side, glass across this valley on the ridge line and look down for, for bedded mule deer uh, with the spotting scope and, you know, all that stuff and kind of move around. Um, it was a very small, uh, very small access point i guess you could say like it was it was steep on either sides big bluffs mm-hmm. um so may not have been that interesting well we pop up over this ridge work spot a mule deer a grazing a doe and then work our way kind of uh away from her so we don't spook her and we're trying to figure out how to get kind of like around to see if there's any other deer with her and then as we're trying to figure out how to get our way around down in this little valley probably a half mile or so away we see a herd of antelope and likely the biggest boon and crockett antelope uh, buck i've ever seen right yeah he was uh we were half mile away you see this black spot above his head 
and you're like, oh boy, that's a good buck. Yeah. And put the glass on him, we're both like, he's probably one of the top three biggest buck we've seen in Wyoming yeah. anywhere over the past seven or eight years. And as fate would have it, no buck tags in our, yep. our pockets. So that's how it goes. Uh, so really interesting. But with that, there were a number of other antelope with him, uh, and I carried two doe tags. So we then pivot almost immediately, and I was like, I'm going to go down, and I'm going to uh, harvest one of these antelope. And so we, I, uh, AJ and his dad stayed up, or AJ and Art, sorry, I keep calling AJ's dad. That's fine, that's fine. What he is. It's not, yeah. It's not inaccurate. <laughs> AJ and Art are up on the hill, and they're kind of watching, they're kind of watching me and watching the herd. So I, um, the herd was really kind of undisturbed. Even though they noticed us, they didn't really care, which was good because this was also the opening day of the season. I think had that been like four days later, like their, their, uh, their attitude may have been a little different. But I headed down, so always – somebody brought it up the other day. Um, I think it was – oh, they commented on my personal bio page on the website. They're like, listen to your most recent episode, which was our Colorado antelope episode. They're like, how how can we get some stock uh, – some pointers on stocking antelope? And I don't know if he specifically meant antelope, but I'll take it for that because it was the antelope episode and we're here. First off, uh, I'll, I'll give this tip is don't ever expect that the antelope don't see you because they likely do and they just don't care. Or if they do see you, they're going to start first their, their intuition is to move slowly and then they'll, they'll run when spooked pretty easily. Second, judge your terrain, use your terrain. I, if you're in a spot where you can see the terrain really well, then use that to your advantage. You want to put land points between yourself and the herd, kind of almost the entirety of your movement because they can their their vision's so good they can detect any movement. And um, don't rush it. There's no need to rush it. Uh, you got to go slow. You got to move slow. You got to think pretty methodically. Like a lot of the places where you will find antelope, there's not good cover, but there are features where there there are certain like gullies taller grasses sage like don't be afraid to crawl and get in the dirt and move around like if you want to get the shot get in the shot um another tip with stalking be comfortable to shoot to like 300 yards because sometimes you're not going to be able to close that distance i think for me um all my antelope have been taken under three i think with my most being at like 280 and my closest being at like i don't know 40 yards 40 yeah archery (laughs) range yeah. yeah um so it really just depends on that. Uh, my technique is like as I move and use the land features, I move and then I, I kind of keep the herd blind for a little bit. And then I may just pop up really slowly over a feature and just get a good pulse on them. And I'll generally do that like two or three times when I'm going. And then I'll find a spot and I try to get set up so the herd is coming to me versus me going completely to the herd. And that's a way because then they're just naturally kind of grazing and they're just, they're just moving. Um, with that, I think another tip, obviously having a range finder, being comfortable on your rifle. Those are two big ones. And then, um, pick, pick an antelope, wait, wait for it to get a good shot and then go ahead and take that. So that is exactly what I did. I went down the roof, down the ridge, uh, using this Creek bed as cover and this 
as I said earlier, this creek bed was like a super highway uh, for deer and antelope. So I cruised down through there, got to where I thought they were going to be and slowly peaked up. And yeah, they were there. They were actually much closer than I thought they were going to be because they had moved uh, to my left more as I was walking, which was good. Um, but I got, I think, what did I say, 180? 186 was the one. I thought you were 125. Mm. Was that the first one? No, 125 was my mule deer. Okay. 186 was um, 186 was the antelope, and so I carried two tags, and I, I intended to fill one off this herd. So I shot. She like it was a perfect, you know. As as I inspected later, it was a perfect like uh, double lung, right below the back strap just above the shoulder blade like i think i lost the back part of the shoulder blade a little bit on her but everything else was pretty much intact and um she dropped immediately so another thing with antelope is oftentimes if they don't know where the shot came from they they won't initially just sprint and if they do sprint they'll stop because now they've got like a comrade left behind and so in this instance that's exactly what happened they ran about 30 yards and they stopped and they were on this hillside so it put uh i noticed the big antelope buck a smaller antelope buck and a doe were all kind of standing facing towards me and they were looking back at the doe that i just shot and i made the decision there i was like we jokingly said fill two tags off one herd like it would be a great feat if it was possible and i was like you know what i don't know if this opportunity is going to present itself again any time during our trip if there's going to be an antelope or if it's going to take away from mule deer hunting or whatever so i racked another round i saw that the antelope were still there they were starting to get a little fidgety so i knew they were going to move and i put a uh basically like a shot in the doe antelope directly in the front of her chest and it entered the front of her chest and exited out of the top of her shoulder so i did lose a little bit on that one because it kind of like blew blew away some on that that front quarter but she went backwards and essentially just fell exactly where she was so uh knocked out two tags within i don't know we got we walked in we walked into that place at what ten thirty? <coughs> yeah, about ten thirty. About ten thirty, we walked in, and we had uh, quartered, stripped all the meat off—neck meat, tenders, heart, everything—and um, we're back at the truck by twelve thirty. I, I think we were leaving at twelve thirty. We were leaving. We had to walk out. We had to walk back. So I think yeah. we got there by, by like one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, either way, like it was good. And it was a mile and a half back, uh, roughly, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, holy smokes, what a great start to the trip. But there are some antelope stalking tips for the person that asked. I will answer your message, your comment on uh, on my bio page and tell you to listen to this episode so that you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, any any additional topics or thoughts to add to antelope stalks? I think um, – you can't overemphasize being patient and going slow. Um, and there's an example we'll give later on in the hunt where that, that kind of bit us in the behind. Uh, we rushed things, went too fast, yeah. and things went south. Um, and also, you have to enjoy it. So I've noticed a lot of times when I talk to non-hunters about hunting, the first thing they think of and ask about is the shooting. 
And shooting is such a very small part of the overall equation that it's not my most favorite part of hunting, mm-hmm. right? Like, yes, you have to be able to shoot. You have to be competent and accurate and all that. But it's the stock. Like, I enjoy the stock the most. So if you don't enjoy it, you probably won't get good at it. If you enjoy it and, you know, really think about it, strategize, reflect on it, be patient, learn from it, you be observant, you'll get better and better with more experience each time. It's like a game of chess. Mm-hmm. Like the antelope are doing a couple moves, you're sure. doing a couple moves, you're reacting, you know, what is it, rook tonight, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Insert chess lingo there. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the use of some tools. And so this these tools end up being bikes. Uh, so we brought bikes, mountain bikes, um, with the intent that we had one piece of land that we hunted two years ago and had good success at it's actually where art shot his mule deer and i had the shot opportunity at a mule deer but it was a little too outside of my comfort zone but we knew there were deer in this area um we also knew there were antelope in this area but we weren't worried about that anymore so we had the bikes and uh i don't know one of you you guys want to talk a little bit about the bikes uh they're pedal bikes yep first and foremost not e-bikes so powered by um by us and our legs. So uh, Justin and I had, had kind of bought some used fat tire bikes over the summer, kind of rebuilt them and kind of got them set up to be hunting rigs. So racks in the back, saddlebags for carrying meat out, hopefully um, clamps in the handlebars to be uh, a gun rack. And so they were pretty nice, pretty comfy. Yeah. Um, my dad, you know, <laughs> he unfortunately... I mean, he doesn't hunt as much as Justin and I do, so to invest in a bike like that, probably not a good idea. So Justin picked up uh, a $25 bike off of Facebook Market or something, I'm assuming. Yep, yep. Um, probably about as old as I am. I think I'm, I'm 42, so it looked oh, yeah. to be about that. <laughs> it was probably from the 90s. Like, <laughs> um, But, hey, it, it worked, and, um, you know, it saved our legs several miles uh, yeah. that day. And even if you're just you're coasting downhill on the brakes, um, it's like a vacation than than hiking down. It's it's a big big game changer. So that was new this year. It's a little extra work, dragging more gear up here from Texas and Colorado, and you know dealing with the bike rack in the back of the truck and dropping that down, open the tailgate, tailgate back up, bike rack back up. It's a bit of a pain, but um, if you were packing out meat you know, downhill for two miles inside the coast. Um, it just makes things a lot easier. Well, that too. And, and we, uh, we had to push the bikes at certain points because yeah. it, it was just too steep. It was easier to walk. But I think the portion that we pushed them was much smaller than the portion that we coasted or rode. Mm-hmm. So it did, I think, goodness, what did it take us that year when we walked it in, I think it was like it was all day. It was like a three-hour. Yeah, that was like we did four and a half miles in walking. Yeah, we did a huge loop. We packed out a deer two and a half of those miles back. Like that was a full day. Yeah, and we were beat. Yeah, like we did another hard day the next day, and then two days later we woke up. We're like, we need an easy day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which turned out to be a river crossing and not an easy day. But yeah, it, it kind of <laughs> whipped our butts two years ago. Um, but I don't think it, it did as much this time. So like we definitely covered the, 
the two and a half miles in a much quicker pace. I think only like 30 minutes it probably took us, 30, yeah. 45 minutes to cover that with coasting and pushing and then equal on the way back. Uh, so that part was good. Uh, do you want to talk about your bike experience? Well, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> I didn't have the mounts on my handlebars to hold my gun. I didn't have saddlebags <laughs> on my bike. So I was a little top-heavy with my uh, backpack and my rifle. And it wasn't easy steering that bike through the roads because no. the roads are either washed out or whoever goes back there with the quad to check maybe fence lines, property. I said, it, it was a little bit tough uh, maneuvering. Yeah. That, the type of bike I had. When was the last time you were on a bike? Um... <clears throat> uh, it's been a while. I, I, I could remember putting baseball cards in the spokes. <laughs> that was probably before I got my driver's license when I was 16 years old. So it's been a while since I was on a bike. But I was able to maneuver it. Yeah. It wasn't easy, but I did it. And um, my butt paid for it. <laughs> yeah, sorry about the seat. <laughs> yeah. It's not exactly so, a, a padded cushion so, seat. But... <clears throat> They had nice bikes. The thing about with bikes, I think, if you could put something on the back that you don't have to carry your mm-hmm. backpack, it would give you better balance, and you would be able to stand up on the bike. Yeah. So you wouldn't have to be taking that rough terrain, all the bounces and the jarrings, and you can maneuver it better. Yeah, it lowers lowers your sense of uh, your point of gravity, yeah. your center of gravity, I guess. And, uh, uh, I, makes <clears throat> I couldn't do that with my bike. I basically, if I didn't sit, uh, I was putting my feet on the ground and stopping. Yeah. You know, but. Uh, no, thanks for being a good sport. It, it worked on out. On that yeah, trial it, run. It worked out, yeah. <laughs> so. um, no, it was fun. We ended up using the bikes. Another point, too, uh, which we pushed them probably a mile and a half up this slope. Um, to get into some new land, and then we rode the top of the ridge. Uh, uh, Art didn't join us on that one. That one was just AJ. We positioned Art in another spot, um, in another piece of land, in a river bottom, based on sort of the strategy we'll talk about next. But um, that, I think, was two things were cool about it. Cool, the road was really well uh, worn down and pretty level. Uh, Second... The part that I didn't like was that there were vehicles driving back there, and it was state land, and I don't mm-hmm. think they were supposed to be driving back there at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually we had a conversation with the state biologist when I checked my antelope, and they were asking us if the e-bikes, if they were e-bikes and stuff like that, and we're like, no, they're pedal bikes. He's like, good answer, because you can't use e-bikes on state land. And we're like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, we know. Like That's why we have the pedal bikes. Um, I think it was a point of interest too. A rancher had seen us hunting another piece of land and then saw us coming out that night and stopped and talked to us and was like, I saw your guys' bikes back there on the truck and another, you know, this morning. And so we had a good conversation about that, but, uh, definitely a useful tool. Um, I think really good for here. I'll look at, I'll definitely look at using them again, uh, in Colorado, depending on where I'm hunting and what I'm hunting. I think it'd probably be far more usable out in the Eastern Plains, but also good like AJ mentioned, even if you're not riding it, if you're using it as like a game cart that you can also ride and like hang meat bags on and then push them down or push them around, it's still easier than carrying all that weight on your back. Cause I mean, those fat tire bikes are, they can support, you know, I'm 200 pounds, my pack, 
uh, was probably 40 and then you know 240 300 pounds on the bike itself and then you can kind of mess with that weight as you need it but um i think pretty pretty cool tool to have in the toolbox yeah and we just to clarify we rode two tracks yeah so dirt two tracks what we went in um any rougher than that i, I think you, you can't it's just too too rough you can't do it um and get a good mount for your rifle with a lot of rubber and padding in it because um, you get knocked around a little bit you don't think so i think the road looks pretty smooth but little bumps or even like like the cow hoof prints that were left yeah from the, the rain that then yeah. dried those were knocking me around pretty good surprisingly so i actually checked my rifle after that second day um run blm land so i went out to 100 yards shot it and it was still dead on which i was happy about because i was i lost confidence yeah and i don't want to lose confidence so my, my rifle was true when i needed it later in the week so i checked it to be sure and it was good so uh that's perfect um This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Uh, Mule Deer Monday. So this was my Mule Deer. So I think the important message this is like overlooked spots, uh, small pieces of land. I, I'm I'm a big advocate for this is like, check all the pieces of land because oftentimes things are going to get overlooked. Uh, people that solely stick to hunting the road may or may not overlook these little chunks of land because they're like, Oh, from the road, this doesn't look very productive, but then you get into it, which may only be like a hundred yards and you've got this like ideal habitat. So that Monday, what happened is that I wanted to go to another piece of land that was, had some good long uh, gullies, bluffs, fingers, some trees in it, but the wind was not cooperating uh, for me to get in there without blowing out the whole area. So that day, um, Art set a creek bottom 
AJ set kind of a ridgy tree line area and he had suggested another place to me and I was like, that's fine. So the wind for that spot was actually perfect. And I essentially just walked straight into the wind, which was really, really good. And I got to the point where I was at the ridge line. I was like, all right, this looks good. It's like a, it's a bluff on one side, which I was on. Um, and then on the other side, uh, there was like a, a gully or creek bottom that was pretty pretty deep and then there were some rolling hills on the other and then like from there on it it opened up really well so i set up i I was actually standing trying to find a place to to go and a doe and three yearlings pop up i'm like cool i just kind of stand there and let them be they had no idea i was there um the wind was in my favor and they just kind of moved up out of the way so then i go and i get set up in this little pocket of a rock it's like a perfect little bench seat it's got nice space to sit got a nice place to lean against my back and i'm like oh this is good my rifle at my side and my pack situated there and no sooner than i was like settled i look up and there's like two deer looking at me and uh one of those deer i'm like oh, it kind of looks like he has antlers but he's very small body the other one i was like oh looks like an older doe so it's probably like a doe with a yearling buck and so i said all right i'm gonna raid i'm gonna bring up my binos so i very slowly unzipped um brought up my binos looked at the first deer yep little forky look at the second deer a bigger forky but a forky nonetheless bigger body and i was like all right well let me range them slowly pulled out my range finder shoot a little range uh 125 128 i forget what it was um to the bigger of the two i was like perfect uh this is great so range finder way slowly rack around on my rifle pick my rifle up put it on my knee steady it boom shoot and uh get over there and i message aj and aj had like a very similar experience uh in the piece which he can talk about but i look i look at my onyx to see like all right are we gonna quarter are we gonna drag like what are we gonna do uh i'm 200 yards from the road like there was a bend in the road and I just happened to be settled in this pocket that I didn't realize I was that close so the plan is then you know get the deer gutted uh ready to go and then drag it the 200 yards but like that's that emphasis piece for like a small pocket of land just like holding deer that someone was literally camped a half mile quarter mile from there on the ridge just above where I'd set the night before, like we'd that evening we saw them breaking down and then we're like, Oh, we should just, we should sit this area tomorrow. Um, but I'll let AJ tell you about his experience at yeah. that place. Cause it was very, very similar. Yeah. So that area was interesting. It's, it's, it's right on a main road, cuts right through a big piece of BLM land, about two square miles. And the day before we saw, we saw four bull elk bear, juvenile elk. Yep. We saw antelope. We saw mule deer. So there's good activity. So I went in about um, maybe a half mile just before you went in, Justin. And I was still hunting into the wind, up and down these fingers and ravines. And that's one of my favorite ways to hunt. Just go really slow into the wind, really quiet, stealthy, um, kind of stay in the shadows behind trees, etc. And... Um, Happened to come up on top of a finger at the same time as two mule deer, doe, and three yearlings did. Uh, they didn't see me, so I slowly crouched down and I stayed there. And they just kind of fed and grazed and meandered within to 10 yards from me. 
and really relaxed. They were feeding. They were kind of grooming each other, kind of chilled out. So I was hunched down there for, I don't know, probably 10 minutes. The point where it gets uncomfortable, things start cramping and hurting. And meanwhile, my pocket, my phone is vibrating. It's Justin texting me. And I heard the shot. So I'm like, well, he has one. So I slowly stood up and I, you know, the animals, I spooked them and the deer took off. So I worked up around that ridge, still into the wind, hunting this bigger uh, ravine, um, worked my way over to Justin. And, you know, by the time I got over to him, which was half an hour, 45 minutes later, I had seen 19 doe and yearling and one antelope in that piece of property that how many hunters, hundreds, had just drove through on their way just to go deeper into, you know, other land or deeper into the wilderness. So again, it's like, don't overlook spots. I mean, hunt areas that people won't hunt or they think there's nothing there. And like, we've had great success here in Wyoming in the past years doing that. Uh, it's been a great strategy. Yeah. And I think even, you know, uh, a 400 yard by one mile piece of land can still hold deer. Yeah. They just have to be on it. The moment you are or antelope, they just have to be there when you're there. But if you're not there, you're not going to find the opportunity. So definitely don't overlook those smaller patches. And like, uh, yeah, it's happened so many times where even finding game in the places you don't expect it, it's always a surprise. So just like be prepared as well for that. Anything to add art for, for that day? <coughs> well, he dropped me off in that one ravine there. And uh, there was a, th- a three doe that I saw and then some other hunters came walking in. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But uh, a lot of the hunters there were road hunters. Yep. And they, a lot of people won't go into the ravines. They just ride by, and if, there's, if they see something... They'll get out and stalk they'll, it. They'll get out and stalk it, you know. Yeah, so, and I mean, we, I mean, we saw that countless times, people stopping, watching, stopping, watching. I mean, if I see deer on the side of the road, I'm going to obviously... Yeah. On public land, I'm going to stop and watch <laughs> and yeah. think about if I'm going to stalk them or not. But not to say that it's not a protective way but there's definitely a more productive way to get off the road and go find animals. And I think yep. that that's attuned to probably our success, uh, especially in Wyoming. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about exploring new lands. It's a good segue into it. Uh, understanding movements, patterns, and scouting, and strategy. Those all kind of like really come into play. Um, and I mentioned earlier, like, most of the land we were hunting, we hunted for the first time this year with the exception of uh, the place that we hunted the most and then the pizza oven, which we biked into. And then that was actually a hunter hunting pressure issue, too, because, yeah. like, we get in there, get off our bikes, get them chained up, get to the top of the ridge. And as we get to the top of the ridge, we bumped a buck and a doe and then saw a doe and two yearlings at the top there. But then this guy comes bebopping up the, the two track uh, from basically the direction we were facing. He came up. So he had blown out essentially like an entire, I don't know what, four square mile yeah, piece four of land. Yeah, four square mile valley, yeah. And we talked to him, and he's like, yeah, I just walked all the roads, did this, like, and we're just like, oh, man. So that that day, we, I mean, we saw deer. Public land. Yeah, public public land. land. Anyone can do anything. Um, Yeah. We we saw deer, though, still that day. We just didn't see any any legal bucks. Um, But that's a bummer. It was a disappointment. Yeah, especially because we worked hard to get back there on the bike, too. Mm -hmm. And we had high hopes because we had – 
in our mind had talked it up the whole, you yeah. know, since we were there last time when we'd seen like what five good sized mule deer back there on that piece of land. The original plan was to camp there yeah. and hunt that for six days. And I'm glad we pivoted and didn't do that and went to other areas. That's a good strategy too, is like, don't be afraid to move. Don't be afraid to explore new lands. But if you go explore new lands and you're not seeing sign, or you're not seeing movement quickly move to the next spot. Like, don't get hung up on one piece of property unless you're seeing deer. And I think that's a good segue to, we finally settled on this piece of state land, uh, ironically, very near to one of the towns that we commonly hunt at, and uh, probably the nearest piece of land to that town. I'd have to look at a map, but it's it's very close. Yeah. 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 And um, we... That is the same place that I had shot and lost my mule deer two years ago where we had to go back and get the warden, go into private land, blood track it, and essentially never never find it. So very surreal coming back and that being the piece of land that we hunt most because not a lot of great memories for me there. Uh, but I created some good, some new good memories. So then I shifted my focus because I had filled my mule deer tag from I was no longer hunter. I was like cameraman and and tag along I'm a coffee maker uh, <laughs> um, so we we decided to go hunt that piece of land and I think that piece of land was very unique and the way that we hunted it turned out to be really fun but we got in on one of the ridges and just stood uh, sat over this uh, creek bottom and basically a big open area full of uh, smaller, I would say smaller gorges and gullies. Uh, but that's where we saw initially that first evening, we saw that first doe and buck and the subsequently later seeing more deer that <coughs> evening moving around. And so we really, we really honed in on that piece of land. Uh, one, it was kind of easy for us to get in and out of, we could set up on that Ridge. And I think we started to understand the movements better and better on that property as we sit there. And I think that goes into sort of like that scouting piece is like, if you don't have the opportunity to uh, go and scout someplace beforehand, like you're going to have to spend a couple days um, looking at it and seeing deer, understanding what they're doing and then adjusting your strategy around that, which is kind of what we did. And I'll let you guys talk a little bit about this. Cause this was more your, your hunting experience than mine there. Yeah. Um, I think that spot was attractive. We kept going back and we kept seeing deer and the buck to doe ratio was inverted. We were seeing like three or four bucks to every doe and, you know, no, these weren't Boone and Crockett bucks, but they were nice bucks or legal bucks and, and that's what we're after. So it was hard to go somewhere else knowing that when you kept going there in the morning and the evening, you kept seeing deer, you kept seeing opportunity. So originally we set up on a ridge and we're glassing the area below and realize that in the morning they move one way, evening they move the other, always up this river bottom and, and following the ravines. And there were a couple of times where I tried to get in a good position to shoot on this ridge. You're laying in shale, uh, you're, you're angled downwards, your feet are above your head and, and prone. And it's a very awkward position to shoot. And it was, you know, three to 370 away. And I just couldn't get comfortable with the shot. And the deer weren't stopped. They were moving. They are traveling. So there wasn't a whole lot of time. So that happened twice. 
and I didn't shoot. I didn't feel confident. And so that's when we thought about a different strategy, where to go. So um, it all kind of, um, you know, kind of came into the last day, which was yesterday with that morning. And um, my dad sat on the bottom of a, a bluff, um, just elevated enough to kind of see the area below behind some, uh, some brush uh, in the morning and kind of watching, waiting for traffic. So I'll, I'll stop the story there. I'll tell my part later and let my dad tell his, his experience yesterday morning. I, I want to, before we go, I do want to say like, we're not just going to share the good and the, the good here without the bad. So we did one of those days, uh, I was with AJ and we were putting a stock. It was in the morning. We were putting the stock on, actually it wasn't yesterday morning. It was the day before in the morning and yep. we were putting it. So we found a buck moving pretty quickly. Uh, we'll say to the Northeast. To the no northwest, it would be northwest. I think it was the morning, right? Yeah, that was when I, I couldn't get steady. Yeah, I couldn't take the shot. And uh, it, do you want me to finish it up? Sure. Okay. Um, so couldn't get steady, couldn't take the shot, and so this deer was he was moving, he was on a mission, he was all alone. And so I look at Justin, I'm like, D- you know, what should we do? You want to go get him? And we're like, sure, why not? Let's go for a hike. So my dad stayed there on the ridge. He watched the, the bottoms looking for any more traffic that came through. Justin and I peel off. And so we're stalking this deer knowing that it's moving. Very it, quickly. It was, <laughs> it was quick, yeah. So you're shedding jackets, shedding layers quickly. And Losing it's your headlamps. <laughs> I did a lot of headlamps. But I found it. I found it the next day. Um, so we go down, basically going down and up over bluffs, looking to see if he's in that next ravine in front of us. And we went down and over two different bluffs. So, you know, you go going down elevation, up, back down, back up. Um, and then got to a point where we thought we lost him. We're about a mile in. Uh, I was behind a big rock. Uh, I think I was uh, taking off a jacket or something. And, and you were behind a ridge. And then I'll hand over to you. Oh, I wasn't even behind a ridge. I was standing there like... Just like, I don't know if I was fiddling with my camera, if I was just looking around with my binos or what, but I saw him. I saw two mule deer, both bucks, probably, I don't know, 230 yards away. They were on private. Yeah, they were on private, yeah. but they were a ways away. And I see them, and I, like, I just freeze. And um, one of them gets spooked by something. I don't think it was me. But he like goes to run up this ridge, and then doesn't. And the other one, he stops. And the other one is just standing there, like looking at him, like, "Dude, what are you doing?" And so then they both come down and they start working towards me, and they close down to me within about. They close probably thirty yards closer, um, and then one of them dips into the ravine and goes to the left. Well, the the land to the left is. If he follows the rain, pops out, and ends up being public land again. If they were to go to the right, it follows down, and it pops out, and it becomes public again. So either way, we're kind of in, like, this really good position. But they're, like, they're, they're spooked, but they're, they're still moving. So they both kind of, the other deer feeds down into that ravine. 
and just kind of hangs out underneath this tree. I, th- I was like, oh, man, he's probably going to bed down there on private. We're just going to have to wait him out. And then the other deer comes back uh, from the left now to the right, meets him, and then they both work their way to the right. And at this point, I had, like, got AJ's attention, and he had seen them. And so they're moving to the right. Well, in front of us is this giant bluff, like, humongous. I don't know, probably two, 200. It was a big, steep bluff, yeah. yeah. And so initially I thought, oh, we're going to go like go around the edge, peek over, like we'll see him in the ravine. And then I'm following AJ, and AJ just goes up the side of this bluff. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Up the side of the bluff we go. So we climb this steep bluff, uh, you know, 200 feet, 300 feet up. Uh, it's, it's pretty tall. And I'll switch back over to AJ. Yeah. So I didn't go in front of the bluff. I, I thought about doing it, but... It was very close to being the border of private land, and so I wanted to make sure I was well within public land. So I wanted to go up over top of that bluff, knowing that the other side was, in fact, BLM land, no question about shooting on private land. Um, And also make sure I got in front of these deer. So went up and over that bluff, got to the top, um, immediately saw the deer. We were way ahead of them, probably... um, I don't know, two, 300 yards. They were still, though, probably about 400 yards away from us. So we decided to then walk towards them behind the cover of the bluff on the other side. Um, went down there, kind of crept over. There's plenty of cover. There's good uh, buck brush up there and good cover. Um, I saw some mountain lion tracks up there, too, which were interesting to see in that area. But um, laid down on the mountain lion tracks in some dirt just in prone position, looking down at the bucks. Uh, I think I ranged them at like 220. Mm-hmm. And um, at this time, the sun was starting to come up. So this is a like situational awareness of your stock. You don't want to get skylined, right? And be very aware of your shadows. When the sun is low in the sky, casting long shadows, that shadow goes a long way on the land in front of you. And a little movement is really amplified, and animals will see that. So... We're laying there, or I'm laying there on top of the bluff, getting ready to shoot. Justin is uh, behind me. He's spotting. He's got binos up. He's watching. And um, I'm looking through the, the scope, and you know the one buck's looking right at me. And you know, at that point, Justin kicks my leg, and he's like, hey, are, are you sure they're on public land? It could be private. And I kind of look back, and he's he's kind of standing up. And I'm like, hey, I'm like, don't don't get skyline. Watch your shadows. You know, let's be careful. And I look back at the scope, and both bucks are gone. They spook. Yeah. I mean, I felt really bad. Uh, one, because I blew that. But two. We don't know that. It could have well, been me. We don't know. I, I think They were spooky to begin with as well. But yeah. in retrospect, we're like, yeah, they were definitely on, like, they were on private land still. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a little less co- or more comforting but i uh i couldn't get another vantage point of them and in past like i've i've learned very much uh to stay on the buck like until they're down and make sure that they're down and like a good amount of period has gone and not lose sight of that cuz like aj and i lost one in california you know 10 years ago that i still think about to this day and you know i lost mine mine wasn't the same but it's like i, I don't want to I don't want to lose deer. I don't want anybody to lose deer. Mm-hmm. And so that works well to transition to art and art's last day of not losing deer. Yes. 
<laughs> Go ahead. Let's let's hear your story. So I'll set the scene. All right. It's early morning. Well, I'll I'll even. <laughs> how, how about if I go the day before, like when you guys were out doing your your run, and I was sitting in the riverbed. Sure, we can talk about that. And because and I was in the riverbed to get a closer shot of yep. wh- of where the the roadway was of those deer that was going back or forth, especially that morning when we saw that buck that yep. was going to the northwest. Yep. And he disappeared, and then you guys took off after him. That afternoon, I went in the riverbed, and I'm sitting in the riverbed, and it's very warm now. It's the hottest day we were here, I think, that day. 70. I mean, it was like we were dressed for like 24 degrees in the morning. But then towards... We we weren't. You you were. (laughs) (laughs) Art's very good at layering. (laughs) So anyway, I'm in the riverbed, and I'm right in the sun. The sun is just beating down on me. So I'm taking clothes off, and I'm waiting for something to, to move or, you know, come in because that's, that's the way the deer were running that day. Yep. All right? And then I'm looking back up over my head because the, the river, I'm probably about six feet down mm-hmm. in the gully. And my son is telling me earlier that day, well, I saw lion tracks. And I'm thinking, <laughs> <laughs> these four bulls come running in. To where I'm sitting, about 90 yards away from me. Cows, moo cows, not elk. Yeah, bulls. Bulls, right? Bulls with horns. Yeah, on yeah. horns. Cattle. Yep. <laughs> yeah, cattle. And now they're looking at me, and I'm thinking, what am I gonna do? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I took my red hat off because I didn't know if that one boy he looked mean. You know, but uh, they they stayed there for probably 15 minutes, and they were watching me, and I'm thinking, wow, if these bulls can see me. The deer are going to see me, too. And <clears throat> what chased those bulls into that riverbed that fast? Because he kept looking back behind him. So in the meantime, I'm looking up over my shoulders. Is there a mountain lion coming down here <laughs> or, or what? I mean, you, know? you never but, know, I guess. <clears throat> it, it just turned out that that's, that's the only thing I saw there that day. Well, the good thing is the next day we were in that same area and we never yeah. saw any mountain lion tracks on the ground there. No. So yeah. no. it was not, in fact, a mountain lion but that uh, we know. <laughs> the, the next morning we went in and that's when you guys put me at the base of that uh, bluff. Yep. The bluff. Yeah. And, okay. And I was still within um, 100 yards or 150 yards of where the deer were running yep. back and forth, which was good. And then you guys went back up to the ridge Mm-hmm. where you saw those uh, two buck. Mm-hmm. And uh, while I was sitting there, nothing came in in the morning, but I heard AJ shot, mm-hmm. and then he texted me that uh, to hang around there for a couple hours because they were going to be busy uh, taking care of his deer. And uh, I was sitting there looking over to my right. I turn around, all of a sudden this buck pops up out of the ground. Just comes out of the ground. Just comes out of the ground. And you wouldn't know those fingers or ridges or the washouts were there unless you got on that property and walked because if you were out up out on the road or up on the ridge looking across there it looks just like a flat land Mm -hmm. but it's not there's a lot of gullies in there and when this buck came up uh, i saw it was a legal buck and i didn't even have to see how far away he was from me because he i knew he was in uh, shooting range and uh, I took the shot. Yep. And he he was walking away from me when I took the shot because I, I figured, well, I'm going to take the shot. He's in range. 
And if he keeps walking away, I'm not going to be able to get the shot, and I'm going to miss out on a, on my first uh, mule deer this year. Mm-hmm. So I took the shot. He stopped, turned around, and he was looking at me, so I took another shot at him. And I noticed him. He, like, shivered a little bit, went down, and I lost him. He went out of my scope. I couldn't find him. So I texted uh, Justin and said that, you know, I took a shot at a deer. I'm going to go look for him and uh, take it from there. So I, I put my backpack on, got my gun, and I started walking to where I, I last saw the deer. And I'm walking around. I, I don't see no blood. I'm walking in circles, zigzagging back and forth. I cannot find this deer. I know he's there somewhere. I saw him go down, but I could not find the deer. So I texted them back. I said, can't find blood, can't find the deer. And they, they said, just stay tight. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, uh, I don't know, half hour, 40 minutes later, they came down mm-hmm. and we did a search and AJ found a buck. He was in a gully. Lame so we had, I think we'll, uh, we'll co- so these, there's two stories running in parallel at the moment, the last day. We're about a mile apart from each other. We'll come back to, to my Justin story later. We'll finish off yours now. Um, so Justin and I are packing mine out. And we go down, we see you in your spot. And we say, okay, we drop our packs, have the meat in the shade for my deer. It's about 10 o'clock at this time. We say, okay, let's recreate the situation. So you went to where you were sitting when you shot. Where I shot, yeah. I was spotting. Justin went out. And we got Justin to a spot where you took your first shot. First shot. And then we said, okay, where was the second shot? He took the, the position there. So based on your description, how, you, how the animal reacted, we, you know, we, we felt that this deer is dead, somewhere within 500 yards. This thing's probably pretty close. So um, there was no blood trail, no, blood no tracks, trail. Nope. didn't know which direction it ran. So that's about a, what is that, quarter square mile area to search. Mm-hmm. Pretty big. Um, so... We just turned on the Onyx tracker, Justin and I, so we look at where we covered, and started doing kind of, um, you know, I don't know if it's quadrants or zigzagging through. Let's say ex- the approach. Ex- expanding say zigzags. Yeah. Expanding zigzags. So then I, I couldn't help but think of the landscape. And the fact that you said you lost it, disappeared, I'm like, this thing went to a ravine. It went down. It got out of sight. Because you think you can see right across there. Yeah. You can't. There's you hills can't. in the There's, way. Yeah. So I started checking the ravines, went up a big ravine, down another, down another. The third one I checked, there laid your four by three buck, you know, dead as can be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 250 yards from where you were sitting. And down in a ravine, you wouldn't have seen it unless you were 10, 15 feet from it, standing on top of that. Yeah. So happening to that story because Justin was having some... Uh, flashbacks two years ago <laughs> missing his deer. I was. I was thinking about naming the valley like the Valley of the Lost Deer just because it just <laughs> swallows up deer whole. But, um, yeah, man. It definitely makes me think about that, that like, two years ago, losing that deer of, like... But we searched that time, too, like, pretty extensively. We had a blood trail that time. We had a blood yeah. trail, yeah. and we found the, like, last bit of blood, and then we kept, like, it. trying to find it. Yeah. Um Let's see. All right, so let's let's go back to your story, AJ. Yeah, so that's that. 
completes my dad's uh, uh, deer season for the year. Right. He's hunted mule deer twice in Wyoming mm-hmm. and filled tags each time. Mm-hmm. He's batting a thousand. Okay, so I'm not gonna say retire, but it's looking pretty good. <laughs> Get a Super Bowl ring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then going back to the stock, Justin Run. Um, our strategy was, okay, we're going to this bluff where I took the shot the day before. I'm sorry, I didn't shoot. We spooked the deer the day before, and we're going there at first light, get there really early. So we go in um, at first light and climb that same big, nasty bluff, um, get up top, catch our breath, and th- I mean, it's not quite – it's shooting light. The sun's not up yet. So it's shooting hours, but you can see. So we're looking over the uh, ravine below, and Justin's goes, deer, deer, deer. Um, so I was actually skylined, and so he kind of redeemed himself there and, and, <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> and saved me from skylining myself and the deer seeing me. So we decided to lay right there, get in position. Uh, in hindsight, should have did that the day before with those two bucks. I should not have closed the gap by 70 or 80 yards trying to get closer. No. I should have, right where I was, laid down and let them work out their ravine to me to where they were definitely on BLM land, definitely public. We were calm. My breath was under control. Good steady rest. You know, that's what we should have did in hindsight. That's where patience comes into the aspect of the stock. And, and working to get ahead of where they're moving too. Yes. Is, and that way you can set up still. Mm-hmm. So, um, Yesterday, um, got set up. I did a lay in a cactus, um, which uh, Justin picked some thorns and bristles out of my, or spines out of my elbow. That's what good friends do. Appreciate that. I think there's still some in there, but the I still have some in my hand, yeah. so not from that, but I've, <laughs> I've stuck my hand in some when we were packing back out, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, so got in good position up on the bluff. Um, I, I ranged him at uh, 270 yards. Pulled up my Hornaday app on my phone to understand the MOA and the holdover, and um, I had to log in. I had no cell phone service, so I couldn't log in. Um, I'll have to figure that out later if I had to log in prior or, or take that off the Hornaday. I don't know. But essentially, I couldn't get my holdover. So I knew it was probably somewhere around like two and a half, three and a half, uh, based on past shooting. So really good tip. Those guys that print them out and stick them on their rifle, their holdovers, do it. Because you can't rely on technology. Oh, you can yeah. fail anytime. That's a good tip. Yep. And I wish I did that, but I didn't. So um, I did take the shot. Um, and that he'd moved a little bit. He's probably like 280, 290, a little farther back. Um, hit him hit him pretty good. He was broadside. Uh, hit him a little low, but good. And uh, he probably hobbled about 40 yards, laid down, and was dead. And that was it. So, um, yeah, it was a great morning. Um, Justin and I hiked down, uh, got to work, uh, got him corded up, packed up, and then hiked back to my dad where they, we then helped search for his deer. And that was our, our double yesterday. We filled uh, two mule deer tags on this piece of land that we'd not seen, or Justin and I were, not one boot track, Mm-mm. not one even close to it from the first four days of hunting. So it's an overlooked spot. Um, I, I don't know why. It's a great travel corridor. It's got great traffic. And uh, it's a bit of a honey hole. So we're, uh, we're good at finding those spots that are overlooked, that whole deer. And 
They may not produce, you know, record book bucks if that's what you're after. But if you want a good legal deer and fill your freezer and have a good story and a great hunt, it's perfect. Yeah. And as you guys came down, we found my deer. You guys left because you had to take care of your meat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I stayed. I gutted my deer. Mm-hmm. And as I'm gutting my deer, another buck and three three doe come right up, right by me as I'm gutting my deer. And the buck, I would say, was a smaller. I probably wouldn't have shot the buck. It was a. He was like a yearling. Based yeah. on the picture you showed me, like a yearling buck. Yeah. And he kept coming. He kept walking right up to me. I actually started taking pictures of him. But I think had you, you know? seen had you seen that deer today and not filled your tag, would you well, have shot him? Yeah, that's a good possibility. <laughs> last day. Yeah. Last, last day. day He's the last day last deer. Day. But yeah, for that area to have that that many deer, it was it was a good area. Yeah. You no, know? I I like that area. I and, mean, uh, I definitely the less fond memories I had of it previously have now been. Uh, pasted over by some very exciting, <laughs> fun memories uh, from this trip. But uh, let's let's go ahead and wrap up. So any any final thoughts or ideas or anything that you have to share with anybody? I'll start with you, AJ. Um, I wasn't prepared for final thoughts, but um, <laughs> I, I think I've covered all my main points throughout the podcast. So, uh, yeah, I'm good. Have okay. Good all right. If you're going to do bikes – Make sure you get a bike for what you're going to do. That's a good fun Because thought. the bike I had was not a bike for what I was going to do. Yeah. So, well, that's fair. Yeah, sorry. That's partially my fault. Yeah, but. So, <laughs> uh, and uh, just enjoy what you're going to do. We had great weather. Oh, yeah. The weather was I mean, great. The weather was fantastic up here. You know, it's like an Indian summer and. uh just fantastic good good hunting good good times together i I, I will say i enjoy with my son you know and uh, i enjoy with you too i I like your company (laughs) too (laughs) thanks um so but uh, let's see hopefully we come back next year we'll hunt the same same areas and uh i think i think probably gonna take a break from this area for a couple years with the decline in population and uh, CWD and EHD and blue tongue and all the hard winters, everything mm-hmm. that's kind of like factory. And then I've been hearing about, I think gonna give it, give, give, uh, Eastern Wyoming a bit of a break and um, for a while and, uh, build some points and focus on some new States. Uh, yeah. I think so. Good news is the elk numbers are increasing. Yep. So elk are doing really good, but the mule deer and antelope are, are not doing good. And even the, um, private ranch we sometimes hunt for antelope we talked to him this year and he's like you know the numbers are real down i really don't feel you know comfortable having you guys come hunt because i can't guarantee you'll get antelope yeah which um, i mean we know that but we also don't want to yeah. go on there and take a you know a bunch of antelope off no, no when the, the populations are down so we took the year off from there um let's see my final thoughts so i have one i had an interesting experience happen and i'll share this of like I shared, uh, you know, AJ's thoughts on the the stock, the shot, all that, and I shared us breaking down the deer, and then uh, a bit of the pack out portion on as a reel on Instagram, and you know, you put things out there on social media, and you always expect a bit of mixed feedback, but it's always like 
super uncool when somebody's like just wants to be a troll. And so I dealt back and forth with a troll yesterday based on this post. And like his initial comment was, oh, that's a small buck. Looks a little small for Wyoming. And I was like, great. Yeah, but we're not we're not here for the size of the deer. We're like looking for meat. So that it's a great thing. They all taste the same. And he's like, well, then why did you quarter it up? And I was like, well, we quartered it up because we needed to get it back to the truck. And we were like probably a half mile, two miles away. And we weren't going to drag the deer that far. Like, and then... To which he, you know, makes another snide comment about, well, if it was so big, then, or if it was, whatever, if it was small, like, that small, you could have drug it out, but you chose a quarter or something like that. And I was like, it's just at that point my patience ran out. I was like, what's your problem? Like, why are you size shaming AJ's deer? Like, why? Like, you're, you're not... You're not someone who I've seen shoots any big giant deer. Plus, like, there's no room for that in the hunting community. Like, we're already a nitpicked and picked over group of individuals, uh, you know, that are trying to share our passion and follow our passion. And there's, you know, a lot of blows from various sides of society to have someone who may or may not be with on in our own to be like, oh, that deer is small. Well, we're not here for big giant deer. If a big giant deer walks out, yes, I'm going to shoot it. But at the end of the day, my goal is to fill my tag and take meat home. And I don't care. Like, my deer, my mule deer was smaller than AJ's. It was smaller than Art's. I don't care. I filled my tag. I'm going home. My son, my daughter, me, we all get to sit down and we get to eat game meat. And it's great. I get to cook recipes and share with you all. That's my intent. To provide family for my food, to share great content, to do things like that. I honestly don't give a crap about the antler size. It would be great to shoot a big deer, but do I need it? No. Yeah. I think, look, and this isn't just for hunting. It's perspective of life as well. Um, nothing in this world matters less than someone else's opinion. Yeah. Right? You need to be proud. You need to be happy. You need to be fulfilled. Um, and that's that comes from within. That's your own self-reflection. Um, so, you know, social media is toxic in many, many ways. And uh, I wouldn't give it a second thought. If you like this content, you like the podcast, what we're saying is helpful, great. Use it. Be a better hunter. Be a better person. Go for it. If it's not, okay, go find something else. Don't listen to it. I mean, exactly. it's that simple. Like, life's too short. Move on. Well, I will say this. Thanks, everybody, for listening. For those that do find it helpful and enjoy it, please, uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening to, punch that five-star button. Leave us a review. Tell us what we're doing right or, you know, tell us what we're doing wrong. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Every once in a while, it's fun to go with, like, just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.